0: Today's message is called The Manger, The Manger. So before I get started, I want to read something to you, and maybe it might sound familiar to a couple of you guys. Ready? Three blind mice, three blind mice, see how they run, see how they run. I'm not as good as Sister Vanessa with spoken word. They all ran after the farmer's wife who cut off their tails with a carving knife. Did you ever see such a thing in your life? as three blind mice. Can you believe we sing this to our kids? Some people. This actually was a symbolic nursery rhyme to represent the farmer's wife who was actually Queen Mary the I. And she's better known in history as Bloody Mary. I think they even named the drink after her, right? Uh, the one who burned hundreds of Protestant heretics in England. She burned hundreds. Stop. The blind mice were actually three noblemen that had decided to take a stand against her. They were convicted of plotting against her, and as a result, they were burned alive at the stake. I'm going to read one more for you. Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall. Well, this is a symbolic nursery rhyme referencing the Black Death in Europe. It was a bubonic plague pandemic which lasted from 1346 to 1352 the plague would appear as like black sores all over your body, right, and of the people that were infected. People stuffed posies in their pocket, which were a type of flower with a good smell. And what, if they would stuff their pockets full of posies, it would cover the stench of the rotting bodies that were throughout the cities. The ashes fell, ashes, ashes, right? The ashes fell after they would burn all the bodies to prevent the spread of the infection. Although not everyone fell down, the Black Death wiped out about 20% of the world's population. Who would have thought that the nursery rhymes that, listen, all of them have something. Like, there was a long list. I was like, I don't got time for that right now. But I was like, every nursery rhyme that you can remember, there's something serious attached to it that is not kid-friendly. Who would have thought that these nursery rhymes were symbolic of serious events in history? Throughout the time, we use them. Throughout the time, we have learned to use words as symbols, as symbols for deeper meanings. Today, we will see how the word manger in today's context is symbolic of so much more. So guys, this is part 3, the last of the uh, of our series, the message, the method, the manger. About 2 weeks ago, we talked about the message and we we spoke about how God loves us so much that he sent us his son delivering a message so that we could understand. You know, a message that 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 relayed love, hope, mercy, Grace, joy, peace. He had, to, he had to speak to us in a language that we could understand so that way we could come to him and we could be saved. Second week, we talked about the method. And we talked about God's method of using ordinary people he used Mary, he used Joseph. We looked at other examples in the word, how he's used normal, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And the method that God uses to, uh, to spread his message is using people just like you and me. You and me. Today, we look at the manger, and we'll take a look at the symbolism behind the manger, manger and how we can learn and grow from it. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. <clears throat> At that time, the Roman Empire emperor Augustus decreed that a census would be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, whom was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips, of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them this that Christmas night when Jesus was born was a night full of miracles I mean full of miracles one I mean uh, you know throughout this time you have a, a star that's leading three wise guys wise guys not not mafia guys three wise men to baby Jesus through a star that's that's miraculous you have angels appearing to shepherds in their field while they're tending to their flock that's miraculous you have the timing of Caesars tax and the census how 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 it brought them to Bethlehem because you know prophetically the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem and so but they were in Nazareth but Miraculously, the timing of the census and how Joseph had to come to Bethlehem and he brought his soon-to-be wife, his wife, to Bethlehem and she, had, she gave birth there is miraculous timing, right? Not just coincidence. Jesus being born of a virgin is miraculous. God coming to earth and becoming man is miraculous. There's a miracle in the manger as well. Let's think about it. Why was Jesus in a manger? In a manger. I mean, was this not the king of kings and lords of lords? Was this, not, was this not the son of God? Was he not the, the God of the universe? And yet, we see him in a manger. Was he, why was he not wrapped in royal garments? For the king that he is. Why wasn't he placed in a beautiful hand, uh, a beautiful gold carved cradle to represent his royalty in a rich man's mansion instead of a dirty manger, a stable, and then put in a manger that was for animals? And where there's animals, there's poop. Animals and poop and hay. I believe that the manger symbolically represents three important truths about Jesus. And we just want to go into that today. The first is that the manger symbolizes Jesus' rejection. You see, there was no room for Jesus in the inn. There was no room for him there, right? So uh, you're rejected. No, no, you can't, you can't stay here. You can't stay here. There's no room for you here. You're rejected from staying here. you got to go somewhere else. There wasn't any place for, available to him at all. Can you imagine, you know, uh, going from one place to another place? Sorry, not here. Sorry, not here. Rejection, rejection, rejection. Someplace had to be found. Mary was about to give birth any moment and she was already probably doing the breathing, right? What's up breathing? Right? Is it something like that? I could imagine Joseph's like, come on, baby, come on. All throughout the, all, all, as they're walking back and forth. Someone seeing their state of desperation must have been like, you know what? Just listen. Just, just stay back here with the animals. Just Just stay back here with the animals that I have. You know, this reminds me of a story. Back in the 50s, not that I was in the 50s, but this story happened in the 50s. On a cold December day, there was a pastoral couple that lived in the Bronx. And um, the wife was pregnant. She was pregnant. All of a sudden, she began to to, to experience labor pains. And and so they called for an ambulance because, you know, especially in those days, you know, the fastest way to get to the hospital was ambulance, right, in New York City. And it still is today. Don't try driving nowhere. Call that ambulance. The ambulance showed up, and, and here you have the pastor's wife struggling to, to keep this baby in so they can make it to the hospital, right? And, and she gets into the ambulance, and I can imagine, you know, I, I can only imagine this woman trying to say, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, let me just make it to the hospital. Let me just make it to the hospital. Let me just make it to the hospital. And God said, no, here's okay. Here's good. And that pastoral couple gave birth in the ambulance somewhere in the Bronx to, uh, to baby Nancy Rosario. And if you guys don't know who Nancy Rosario, that is my, my late mother-in-law. That was Camille's mom who was born in the ambulance somewhere in the Bronx. Now, perhaps Mary wasn't that far along that, like, it was just going to... We don't know, right? We don't know. But um, <laughs> but going in labor, they needed some place, and they needed some place fast. They needed some place fast. You compare the two stories, at least the ambulance had the supplies, it was cleaner than, than the stable. They had trained professionals. They were. Had anybody ever thought about this? How many, deliver, how many babies have Joseph delivered? I mean, do we talk about this? We just skip over that. We just completely skip over that. We have Joseph and Mary looking for a place to stay. They can't find a place to stay. They say, use this stable. He goes, and here they go. I, I mean, we talk about Joseph cleaning up, you know, making it nice and tidy. But we don't even talk about the fact that he delivered Jesus? I mean, maybe there was somebody there. Maybe there wasn't, but I mean, man, God should have given us something, some kind of details on here. (laughs) Can't sleep at night. I don't know what happened now. (laughs) Here is Joseph. I mean, the ambulance had people that were trained. They were trained to do this, and, and here, even if there was somebody trained, there was so much going on in the town at this time. I could imagine how hard it would have been to find help. Everybody had something going on. They had to report. They had to get their families together. They had to do, there was so much going on. And and here they finally got a place. And now this baby is coming. And there is no supplies. There's no trained professionals. There's no clean, sterile uh, countertops. There's a manger that may have some fresh hay on it. We hope it does. But because of being rejected from all the lodging options, Jesus was born in a stable and laid in a manger. It shouldn't be surprising to us at all that even at his birth, into, even at, the entrance, at his entrance into this world, that Jesus would be rejected. The Bible tells us that throughout his life, he was rejected. If we look at John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 it says this in the beginning the word already existed the word was with God and the word was God he existed in the beginning with God God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him I know when you read that the first time you gotta read it like 20 times over but let me, let me just make it simple. Verse 1 says that he was God. And it says that he was with God. This is teaching us that he is a member of the Trinity. That Jesus is divine. Okay? It's very important that you understand that. Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He wasn't just somebody who knew a lot. Okay? Okay? We know because the Bible tells us that Jesus is God. Very fundamental that we understand this point. He is divine. Verse 3 says that all things were created by him. So here we understand that Jesus, being God, is also the creator. So how did the world receive God? Receive the creator? How did the world welcome him in and receive him? Well, John chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 gives us a, a sneak peek at this. It says he came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. He came to his own people and even, and th- and even they rejected him you know um one thing is to one thing is to show up to a party where you're not invited and people look at you like, "Oh hey what's, what's your name again? who are you here with?" you know that could be a very embarrassing situation. But you see, Jesus didn't just show up to an uninvited party. The Jewish people have been waiting for him for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years the Jewish people have been waiting for the Messiah, waiting for him to come. The prophecies say that he would come. The scriptures say that he would come. They're waiting for the Messiah to come and so he's not showing up to a party uninvited. He's showing up to a people that were expecting the Messiah. And even they rejected him. The Pharisees rejected him with all they knew. The Sadducees rejected him his own family rejected him did you know that it wasn't until after his resurrection after that his own brothers (laughs) Jude and James they were like oh you know what I believe in him now (laughs) I believe in him now did you know that dude his own brothers There had to be some jealousy involved or something. I don't know. His own brothers, obviously, growing up with Jesus, seeing what Jesus is doing in those three years of ministry, and yet it took, after the resurrection of Christ, for his two brothers to say, I believe. I believe. Which means that while Jesus was alive before the crucifixion, It means that they rejected him. It means they rejected him. And to this very day, the Jews still reject Jesus. To this day. They're still waiting on the Messiah. They're still waiting. They're still waiting. I had an interesting conversation with my eighth grade teacher when she came by. She was like, so Vince, tell me, how did you find God? You know, the conversation when you speak with a Jew about religion is just going to be God, God, God. You notice Jesus is very, is not mentioned as much because they don't accept him as the Messiah. I kind of felt bad because like, well, I mean, I was raised in church all my life. I was going to church, and when I was in eighth grade, was I that bad? <laughs> was I that bad of a student? <laughs> oh no, no! I just thought I was in the Marines. I'm like, ah, uh, well, you cry out to God a lot in the Marines. <laughs> but uh, I wasn't there. I actually, lo- I actually walked away from God when I was in the Marines. You know, sadly to say. But um, Jesus, was faced with rejection all his earthly life, and the world today still rejects Jesus. There are so many. Each of us know somebody. We all know somebody in our lives, whether it be a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor. We all know someone that is refusing to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah and the Savior. We, we, we all know somebody. And that person is rejecting Jesus. There was a young woman. She went into a bookstore, and she started looking at Christmas cards. So she's looking at Christmas cards and this and that. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, she gets so angry. She, she reads something, gets so angry, she chucks the card and starts storming out. And she starts, starts mummering and yelling, and she's angry, and she's storming out. Can't believe them trying to put religion in Christmas. Can you believe it? Do you know that there are people, there are organizations that are doing their very best. They are working day and night, night and day, day and night. They are working day and night. And they will not rest until Christ is taken totally out of Christmas. Why? Because they have rejected the Christ of Christmas. They've rejected it. They're trying they try to cloud it with all other stuff. You know, Santa Claus is. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All, all this all sorts of stuff. Right? Look at Aram back there trying to trying to, trying to hide. His latest song is about that. His latest song is about that. They've rejected the Christ from Christmas. Society is fighting for us to say happy holidays. Caesar had a joke he played on me. He said happy holidays when I walked in. and I didn't even catch it. He's like, it's Christmas. Pastor. it's Christmas. I was like, oh, I know, I know. But well, that's what they want you to say, happy holidays. Have you noticed in the malls, in the stores, that you've heard more happy holidays than more Merry Christmases? Have you noticed? I mean, it's a traumatic change. I grew up hearing Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, everywhere you went. People that weren't Christians, Merry Christmas. Because it was Merry Christmas. Now you got people saying happy holidays all the time because they don't want to acknowledge the Christ of Christmas. They don't want to acknowledge. They don't even want you to write "Merry Christmas." They, they, Merry Xmas. Merry Xmas. Let's just write. Let's just put an X where Christ goes. So I was curious because I was like, "Where the where where the heck does this X come from?" Like I was I was I was I was like trying to figure it out. Well, in the early days of the Christian church, they used an X. As a secret symbol to rent, to indicate their membership to the church, to others. Like a secret society. Here's an X. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I belong to that church. Oh, well, there was persecution in the early church, and we can understand why, maybe. We have churches in China where they are serving God, and, and guess what? They have, to, they have to be secretive about their walk with God, or else they'll be persecuted publicly. But none of us are experiencing persecution right now, right? There's no reason we need to put an X to secretly indicate that we may be part of the church, that we may have a relationship with God. Listen, it's no secret, nor do I want to keep it a secret. It's Christmas. There's a Christ in Christmas. Without Christ, there is no Christmas. Some people are offended. Be offended. I'm sorry. Not sorry. <laughs> All right. So let's turn our focus ourse- to ourselves for a moment. Are we rejecting Christ today? See, now everybody's like, oh. We were having fun, Pastor. He just, just messed it up. question is, are you rejecting Christ today? Are you rejecting him? Perhaps. You acknowledge that Christ is part of Christmas, right? Oh, no, no, yep, no, Pastor, I agree. Christmas is about Jesus and stuff and stuff. But the question is, have you accepted Christ into your life? Have you accepted Christ into your life? Have you received him into your heart? Have you surrendered to his will for your life? If not, then I hope that this Christmas, today, Christ becomes more to you than just an historical figure. That today, he may become your savior. Like, that's exciting. That's that's really exciting. Like, yo, today could be the day that you walked in lost and you walk out saved and found. You walked in broken and hurt and you walk out. Redeemed and restored. Today could be that day. And this leads us to our second point. The manger symbolizes redemption. It symbolizes redemption. Luke chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And so this this text is taken from where the angels are appearing to the shepherds in the field, right? Here they go. The shepherds are working. They're minding their own business. All of a sudden, poof, angels. Can you imagine that? Half of y'all would have (laughs) fainted. Poof. Angels, don't be scared, don't be scared. Listen, listen. The Savior is born today in Bethlehem. So they're probably listening to these angels speak, and they're like, okay, baby, wrapped in cloth. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. You know why? Because that was normal. That was that was something that everyone did. Babies are born, they take cloth, they wrap them suddenly, they still do it today. Right? Right? Remember the baby? Yo, something they would tight. I was trying to observe, Then you know, when you're in the hospital, you're watching, like, okay, let me see, can I do that, can I do it, can I do it? Like, trying to learn so that you could do it when they leave. Can you teach me that one more time? S- wrapping the baby nice and tight. Something that's always been done. And so when the, when the, when the uh, angels tell the shepherds this, the shepherds like, okay, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a baby wrapped in cloths, okay. All right, that's, okay, I guess we'll look around. Lying in a manger. Whoa, whoa, wait, what? Lying in a manger. Lying in a manger. Did did we hear him right? Did, Did he say manger? Manger? These shepherds knew what a manger was. They worked with animals. That was their job. They would feed their sheep. They would take them in. They would you know herd animals. They knew what a manger was, they knew what a manger looked like. They knew what a manger smelled like. They knew where a manger was at. And here, the angel is telling him that the Savior is going to be lying in a manger? Well, this we have to see. This we have to see. When we see a baby in a manger, that's going to be the Savior. That's going to be the Savior. John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God. John chapter 1 verse 29 says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the Old Testament, a lamb was used to atone for sins. They would take the lamb, they would cut it, it would bleed everywhere, they would burn it, whatever the case may be, they would sacrifice this animal and it would atone for the sins of the sacrificer. Is that a word? Sacrificer. Sounds like it. We'll go with it. The New Testament teaches us that the animal sacrifices didn't actually atone for sin, but they pointed to the one who would atone for sin. Jesus Christ. They pointed toward Jesus Christ. When a lamb was slain in the Old Testament, the sins of that person were symbolically transferred to, from the sinner into that innocent animal, in an innocent lamb. Jesus, being the Lamb of God, was slain on the cross to pay for all my sins and all your sins. Forever. You see, back then they had to keep, ah, oh, I messed up again. Let me get another animal. Let me get another lamb. Messed up again. You know, some of y'all be broke in this place if y'all had to keep buying animals to sacrifice. See, Some of y'all would just be broke. And y'all can't use the North Philly pigeons either. They don't count. They don't count. No, 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 no stray cats from North Philly. No pigeons from North Philly. Y'all had to make sure that they were, they were prayed over. They were like pure animals that you had to specifically buy for the purpose of sacrificing. We all be broke, let's just say it. We all be broke. There wouldn't be enough animals in this city for us. Because the thing is, I don't even think you could eat it. you got to burn it all. So it's not like, you know, oh, well, I mean, just buy it, I'll sacrifice it. No, no, it's a burnt offering. You're burning this animal. Anyways. Truth is that it's not far. There's not a far distance from the manger and the cross. I want you guys to understand this. I know that we think of the cross when he's born, and oh, the death is like you know, 33 years old. Man, he's he's 33 something years later. There's not much distance between the cross, um, the, the manger, and the cross. We can't forget the cross during this time of year. I know we think of just just the birth, but we can't make it just about the birth of Christ because remember, the whole reason why he came was to die. Repeatedly in the New Testament, Christ's birth is tied to his death. When the wise men found Jesus, yo, check this out. When the wise men found Jesus, they brought three gifts. They brought gold, gold, Fit for a king. Here is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the son of God. He will will one day be king of the Jews. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So here you go, Jesus, baby Jesus. Here's some gold because, you know, we want to bling you out because you are king. Next wise man says, Here's some frankincense. Here's frankincense. What in the world is frank? It's a perfume, right? It's a perfume that was used in worship. And because we established earlier, right, that Jesus is God, Jesus is divine, right? Because Jesus being God, Jesus is worthy of worship and adoration, So he brought him frankincense. Here you go, baby Jesus. We worship you. The third gift, a little strange. It was myrrh. Some of you guys don't know what myrrh is. Let me tell you what myrrh is. Myrrh is a spice that is used to embalm the dead. Weird gift for a baby. Weird gift for a baby. But this Magi... Was truly a wise man. You see? For his gift was a recognition that Jesus, being the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, He came to die. He came to die. He was born to die on Calvary. You know what that reminds me of? You know know how if you ever ever had like reptiles, I had I used to have a python. There are mice that are born for the purpose of dying. You know feeding mice? You know the little white ones in the pet store? Their whole purpose in life is to die. Is to be food for someone else. Can you imagine? I mean, for animals, we're like, oh, it's just a little mouse. I don't like mice, mice anyway. But this was a man. This was God. Born... As a man, for the sole purpose of dying for you and me. He was born to be the sacrificial lamb of God, to take away the sin and provide the way to God in heaven. He is the way. Many of us have questions like, well, how do I do this? How do I do that? You know, how can, I get, how can I see God? How can I get to heaven? The answer is simple. It's Jesus. Jesus that's how we do it it's not just you know we had the whole series you know sanctification justification we did all that remember so we explained in detail some things that happened but the thing is it's through jesus that we're saved it's through jesus you want to get to heaven jesus you want to be cleansed of your sins jesus you want to see the father jesus Paul's description of the birth of Christ is also tied to the cross. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Let 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 me break it down really simple. You see, how... How is he buying freedom for us? He's dying on the cross for us. That's how he bought our freedom. He bought your freedom with his blood. He cleanses us of our sins. If If we receive him, if we accept him, we're cleansed of our sins, and we are made sons and daughters of God. And he adopts us into the family, you know, are the family? Too many people have the wrong picture of Jesus at Christmas. They think of this little baby, crying, defenseless. You know, like oh, you know, this poor little baby, poor little baby Jesus, poor little baby Jesus. You've heard someone say that somewhere along the line. Poor little baby Jesus. <laughs> helpless living you know in a barn with animals and 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 poop and hay and all that stuff poor little baby Jesus <sighs> yet they fail to understand that the savior of mankind came like that's the savior of mankind ain't no poor little Jesus he's the savior of mankind the savior Have you ever received his gift of forgiveness for your sins? If you haven't accepted the Lamb of God, then there's still time to do so. There's still time to do that. The manger shows us Jesus' Jesus' rejection. The manger shows us redemption. Lastly, the manger symbolizes his reachability one of the most common ordinary things you could possibly find in the agricultural world was a manger, a feeding trough, right? If you had animals, you had a feeding trough. That's what a manger was. What's it called, fodder? The food that they put in it, they called it fodder. It was nothing special, nothing unique, Nothing unique about the manger at all. And then, on top of that, we see that the first people that were given the announcement of the birth of Christ were common, humble shepherds. Think about it. Why were these simple, common folk, right, given the unique privilege to witness such an incredible event? I like to believe that it's because... He wants to teach us that Jesus was reachable and is reachable by ordinary people. Ordinary people. We talked about how his method is to use ordinary people like you and me. And if he's going to use ordinary people like you and me, then he's made himself reachable to ordinary people like you and me. John 6, verse 37 says, All those the Father gives me, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Sometimes we, we, we worry because, we're like, well, if I go to Jesus, you know, I've done so many things. I, I've said so many things. I've accepted Christ three times already in my life, and I keep still messing up. I, 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 keep, I, keep, I, keep, I keep going back to the same thing if I go to him now, he won't receive me. He'll reject me. He won't want me. If you've ever thought that, his word says, whoever, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. The Bible tells us that anyone can come to him. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believeth in him, whoever, rich, poor, healthy, not healthy, smart, not so smart, talented, not so talented, educated, illiterate the good person that does all nice things in their life, and the bad person that does all the wrong things, the wicked person, the murderer, the rapist, the liar, the thief, they too can choose to believe. They too can choose to accept Christ. Sometimes our own past sins keep us back from saying, I want to receive Christ because we think we're just too bad of a person. There is no too bad of a person when you come to Christ. The world may judge you and I can't keep the world from not judging you. Remember we talked about remember we talked about judging too. I can't control what the world is going to do or not do. But I can say you know with all with all confidence that he will not judge your past when you come to him. He will receive each and every person the same. Whoever means me, it means you, no matter who you are or what you've done. Just as those simple shepherds were invited to come to Jesus, you too are invited. John chapter 7, the second half of... uh, uh, of uh, chapter seven, verse thirty-seven, but the second half of that verse it says, "If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink." Are any of you thirsty today? And I'm not talking about the way the young people use it now. Well, I'm talking about that kind of thirsty, because that's the first thing that came. I'm reading. I'm like, ah. Oh. He can't help that too. Are you thirsty for forgiveness? Some of us have done so much and we carry this burden of like, like no one's ever going to love me because of what I've done. You know, the things I've done are so horrible. And, and we carry it in a backpack that weighs us down. And we're just thirsty for forgiveness to know that I can be forgiven for what I've done. I can be forgiven for what I said. I can be forgiven for how I've treated people. I can be forgiven. We're thirsty for that because, because we're, 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 we're condemning ourselves and we're beating ourselves down because we feel like we can't be forgiven. But we can. Are you thirsty for an abundant life? Some of us are like, oh, this life is so boring. This life is, there's nothing, there's nothing good in this life. There's nothing, I I feel like I'm just wasting away. Are you thirsty for an abundant life? It's found in Jesus. Are you thirsty for a new start? You just want to turn the page, start a new chapter. Matter of fact, you want to rip out all the other pages of that book. And start a new one. Some of us are just so, I just wish I could start fresh. I just wish I, I could start fresh, new. And some of us be like, in a new town, new job, new people. Guess what? If you don't change, right, you go to a new town, new job, new people, and you'll still have all the same problems. Here he is. Are you thirsty for a new start? Jesus. It's found in Jesus. Are you thirsty for a purpose in life? Tired of the routine of, get up, get dressed, go to work, come home, eat, go to sleep, wake up, get dressed, go to work, come home, eat, sleep, And then you wonder yourself, there's showers in there. That's a lot of stuff. I mean, you got to eat breakfast, eat lunch. I was just trying to cut it short. Just imagine going through life, a routine. What is this about? Why am I here? Am I here to just get up every day and go to work and eat and sleep? Is that why I'm here? Am I here to have fun every once in a while with with, with myself or go out with friends or some family here and there? Like, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Why do I exist? The answer is found in Jesus. I, I went, I was attending, a, Um, it was a pastoral trip I went to on Friday. And one of the pastors, I think he's been pastoring for 45 years, I don't remember. He's uh, the pastor of Primitive Church in Manhattan by the Lower East Side. And he was talking to us about his, his journey, you know, and, and he gave us a tour of his building. And, and he spoke about ministry. And he said to me, he says, you know, I love what I do. He had said, if you're not called to ministry, don't do it. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, but I love what I do. You know why he loves it so much? Because it was his purpose. God created him for that. He was uh, He was a... Uh, an employee of Wall Street, he told us his, his his background. He worked on Wall Street making a lot more money than he does in ministry. And he's never been happier. And he says God continues to provide miraculously. Like he just doesn't, he says he doesn't understand God. But he's happier now. With less, apparently, even though God continues to give him more. But what the world may seem as what the world may see as less. Because he's found this purpose. And he's serving in it. He's working in it. He finds joy in it. He finds strength in it. Some of us are thirsty for purpose in life. And Jesus says, Come to me and I will show you. Come to me and I'll show you. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, says the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely, who desires drink freely from the water of life. Church, can you stand with me this morning? Prayer team, can you? Join me in the front. Church, the manger reminds us of the rejection that Jesus encountered throughout his life. The rejection that he still encountered, that we still encounter today of Jesus. He was rejected then, and many reject him now. Some of us claim to love him. I'm not saying this to make anyone feel bad, but, but like I said we, we, we want to leave here changed, right? We don't want to walk out the same. Some of us say that we love Jesus. We have said the I dos. I do. I receive you. I do receive you. I do want you as my Savior. I do want you to 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 guide me, to teach me, right? We say our I do's with Jesus, but then we still reject him. You're like, well, how? I mean, I thought if we receive him, we're not rejecting. No, we reject his guidance. We reject his direction. Did you know that you reject the gifts that God has given you when you refuse to use them for the edification of the body? That's why you have them. We have all been given gifts by God special gifts, spiritual gifts. The Bible tells us that these spiritual gifts are for the edification of the body of Christ. Meaning to be used here, right now. And some of us are holding on to our gift. Nope. I ain't gonna do it. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm too scared. I'm too nervous. I don't like that person. We hold on to the spiritual gift and God's like you are rejecting my gift. Because I have given it to you to use it and you don't. Is that us today? Can can you can you say that you, you would be okay if God would you know, stand in front of you or would he say you've rejected the gift I gave in you would he say that I've given you a talent I've given you a talent of, of intercessory and you don't, and you don't do it I've given you a spiritual gift of healing and, and you refuse to pray for people I've given you a spiritual gift of tongues and you're embarrassed of what people may say. I've given you a spirit of interpretation and you're scared that you might get it wrong. Jesus. Is that us today? Let's take a moment to reflect and say, God, am I using the gifts that you've given me or have I rejected them? You know what the body of Christ should look like all across the churches in all the world? Rotating lists. Because everyone wants to serve using their gifts. A rotating gift. Like, well, we all can't do it on one Sunday, so you know what? This Sunday you, next Sunday you, next Sunday you this a, a rotating list that just continues to rotate because everyone is anxious to serve and using the spiritual gifts that was given to them by God. We're Christians, yet we're still rejecting. We're still having trouble. We're struggling with submitting to his will. I accept you, Christ. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. All right, great. Thank you, Sasha. Listen, I need you to move from this place to this place. And instead of doing this, I need you to do this. I need you to leave everything that you know. Oh, (laughs) God, I said I was going to serve you and everything, but I don't think I'm ready to submit to that. Therefore, I I, I must reject what you've asked me to do. When God asks us to do something, to change something, to go somewhere, to serve in any capacity, and we say, no, you are telling God, I reject what you have asked me to do. The manger reminds us of redemption. Christ came to earth for the purpose to die. For the purpose of saving us from our own sins. To be the bridge and the pathway to heaven and God the Father. The manger reminds us that he's reachable at any time. We all have moments in life where we just feel like he is too far away. Where is God in this situation? You are just too far away. You feel alone. You feel abandoned. You feel like like he's not there and he's saying, I'm right here. I'm an arm's length away. I'm reachable. I'm reachable. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. So guess what? He's reachable to all of us at the same time. So today, as we continue in prayer and the altar is open, listen, there are some of us that have already accepted Christ, but we're having troubles with some of the callings, with some of our spiritual gifts, in submitting to that, in allowing God to use us in those areas, and we are rejecting Him daily. The altar is open. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. We know it's not an easy thing. It's nothing to be ashamed about. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. We are a family in this church. We are a family. And if you hurt, I hurt. When you celebrate, I celebrate. If you're lost, I'm going to try my best to help you find a way. If you're hurting, I'm going to put my arm around you. We want to pray with you this morning. If you're struggling, if you find yourself rejecting something in your life, the altar is open. The altar is open. Take a step of faith and say, today is the last day that I reject God's word in my life. With that step you take, you say, today is the last day I reject what he wants for me. The altar is open. The manger was a symbol of redemption. Some of us need to be saved today. Some of us have not said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you in my life. Come into my life. Set me free from the chains of sin. Some of us haven't said that yet. And today could be that day. He's your Savior. He wants to redeem you. The altar is open. The altar is open. The manger reminds us that he's reachable. And many of us find find ourselves in, in moments and in situations where we just feel so hurt. So alone, so beaten down by this world. And we say, Lord, I need you. But for some reason, we feel like he's far away. (laughs) But he's only a step away. Take a step of faith and say, Lord, I need you in my problems. I need you in my circumstances. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my family. I need you with my kids. I need you with my job. I need you in my heart. I need you in my mind. Reach out and you will find him. Reach out and you will find him. out father god we come before you this morning and we just lord we need you lord we don't want to reject you anymore we don't want to reject your word we don't want to reject your direction we don't want to reject father your gifts that you've given us lord help me please help me please jesus jesus please Jesus I want to serve you Lord Lord but there's situations that keep holding me back there's feelings that keep holding me back there's there's trials and tribulations that keep holding me back I need you Lord I don't want to reject you any longer Help me submit to your will. Submit to your, your purpose for my life. Father, you came to this. Jesus, you came to this earth to die for me. This sinful person. You came to die for each and every one of us. Lord, I receive you into my life, Lord. I'm a sinner. I need you. Lord, thanks for being within reach. Thank you for being within reach, Jesus. Thank you for being within reach, Jesus. Father God, we praise you. We worship you. I thank you, Lord, for the healing that's going on right now. I thank you, Lord, for, for the, the, the gifts that have been rejected for so long that no longer will be rejected. I thank you for those that have been rejecting your, your purpose for their lives, Father God, that moving forward this day are not rejecting your purpose for their life any longer. I thank you for those that are making the decision today to serve you, to follow you, to receive you into their hearts. Thank you Jesus. In Jesus